Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, I sense your nearness tonight, and so I'm asking, would you just come in kindness? And Lord, would you reveal your your heart toward us, your motives, and and the way you feel for us? Lord, I'm asking that even even in a greater measure, we've been looking into some studies on intimacy without shame and intimacy without fear. Intimacy creating greater trust. Lord, I'm asking that even tonight you would peel back areas and veils that have caused us to be distant from you. That you would release reality in the gospel, reality in the way that you feel your emotions toward us. I pray that there be a greater measure of liberty released upon us tonight. Make us free, God, even in another measure. Make us free to know you and love you. To love you and to love others just as you've desired. We give you great thanks. In the name of Jesus. Everybody that agreed with that said amen. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timothy writing to the church at Philippi. Verse 9. It says, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ. Just read that again. This I pray, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. I am impressed that the activity of God in the earth right now has the potential to offend hearts. I feel like there are, and obviously we've seen some things that are challenging, but I really strongly think that the days ahead, and they may be the one day ahead or the one year or the ten year, but I think the season that we're in uh, is going to be full of challenge and and trial. And I think that this verse, along with uh, 1 Thessalonians 3, I think that they are going to be very important to us in the days ahead. And so I want to um, take a little time and deal with some of the thoughts in here. And uh, we're dealing, we're talking about intimacy tonight. And it's, in my mind, it's really much better to give a context uh, for intimacy. Uh, Not that intimacy isn't good to, to, to understand by itself that God loves you and God desires you. Those are valuable, massively valuable insights that we must have. But when we have a context for what intimacy does in us, what it produces in us, I think it even gives a greater light and greater vision to the subject, to the, to the subject of intimacy. I want to know He loves me, and I want to experience the desires of God and the emotions of God. I want to feel what it feels like to have my heart unlocked and soaring and alive in love. I want to know what it is to be intimate with God without any shame or sense of fear on my behalf so that there's a flow from the heart of God to my heart and from my heart to God's heart. I want to know that. I want to experience that with my life on a daily basis because I, I, mean, I think that's what we're made for. We're created to be loved. And, and, and if we don't live in a revelation of that, I believe that we live broken and, and bruised and uh, dysfunctional on a bunch of different levels. And I think that the, the way to get that revelation clear is to many times give an op, uh, uh, a context for even a, a further why God is equipping the heart. Why is He releasing this, the revelation of intimacy to us as it relates to even in our daily life? I mean, it's great to understand the big picture, but it's also good to understand uh, the, the, the uh, applications of these things. Both are good. They both cause the heart to come alive and soar. And this is what Paul is speaking about. He is speaking about the heart being alive and abounding in love until the day of Christ. He's giving a, a human context. And so that's what, that's what we're going we're gonna to kind of 
work with tonight. I want to just deal with these verses for a moment. He says, I pray that your love may abound. You look up the word for abound in the Greek and it says, the word is super abound. Super abound. I was thinking about that. I was like, what does that mean? And then another little one says, have overflowing, have an overflowing storehouse of love. He's talking about apprehending the revelation of God's love so that your heart is whelmed, overwhelmed with the reality of it. He goes, I pray that your, that your love may abound, that you may be overflowing with a storehouse of the revelation of God's emotions and desires for you. And then he goes, more and more. Over and over, I want this to be the reality of your life. I want you to continue and abound, flowing and unlocked in heart. You know, moving with the reality of God's emotions and desires for you. And we've been dealing with that, you know, over the last weeks, how God, His greatest desire for us is that He is He is looking over creation and he's, He is moving in all the activities of creation to raise up a bride that he'll marry to his son and then the part b of that is that they would be naked and without shame or they would they would have full disclosure of intimacy between the the heart of the man and the heart of god the heart of the human and the heart of god there'd be full disclosure and intimacy without shame that's almost impossible for us to imagine because every day that we wake up we certainly have some measure of shame that we deal with and he goes i didn't create you to live under a burden of shame i created you to live in fullness of intimacy with me flowing and alive in love with all of the veils removed and no sense of shame in your life amen <laughs> take a drink and so when that's what Paul is speaking about Paul goes I want your heart to be unlocked and flowing in love because I want it to abound over and over and over more and more I want it to continue to abound in you the revelation of God's great desires for you he goes more and more in knowledge and all discernment now, if you're familiar with Ephesians 1, this ends up sounding a little bit like that. Because I want you to have a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him sounds like abounding in the revelation of God's love in all knowledge and discernment. If you do the math, discernment kind of lends toward wisdom. Knowledge lends toward understanding. Uh, knowing Him lends toward having a heart alive in love. You see what I'm saying? So he's sort of praying the same prayer using different language. He's really giving us color commentary, I think, on the Ephesians 1, revelation, spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of him. So he's using the same language, but he goes, I'm asking for an abounding of love. It's kind of like if you put Ephesians, uh, I mean, if you put Philippians 1 and Ephesians 3 together, you end up with Ephesians 1. Anyway. All right, so in verse 10, he goes that you would approve the things that are excellent. It has to do with... When you're, when you're flowing in love with God and you're flowing in the revelation of the knowledge of who He is, it releases discernment unto this, that when there's good things going on and there's bad things going on and the good and the bad look similar, you can approve that which is good. Somebody says, well, you know, I don't know that I'll ever, I, don't, I can't imagine me being deceived by that which is bad. Well, the Bible says at the end of the age that the, the Antichrist will come, the man of lawlessness will come with all manner of lying signs and wonders. And those who do not love the truth will run headlong after this man of sin, not being able to approve that which is excellent, and they're given into delusion. So I think a knowledge of God with a heart abounding in love unto this, being able to to discern and approve the excellent things, the things that are of God, to say, yes, I approve that. uh, That's God. I'm Yes, I'm in on it. In the knowledge of Him, that is going to be such a major uh, deal for us. It's going to be a major issue for us. That's going to be an essential facet, an essential component of Christianity in our heart in the days ahead discerning and approving that which is excellent in God, that which is authored by heaven, discerning and approving of those things. 
is going to be very, very important. And we already see right now in the earth, we already see the beginnings of awesome uh, men and women of God who are disapproving of what we would consider to be the activity of God in the earth. Like, like the language may sound like this. When God's hand moves with judgment, some may say, that's not the judgment of God. God doesn't do those things. You see that? They're not approving of that which is excellent. Excellent is that which God is authoring. Do you see? So, that's going to be a big deal. I won't go any further on that. It's a whole message of its own, probably a series, approving the things that are excellent. And he goes, he goes, I want you to abound in love, heart alive. I want you to know him and have discernment. He goes, I, I, I want your, your wisdom to be sharpened. That's the point. And then he goes, why? That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. This word sincere is an interesting word. Well, the English word is interesting. The English word, since it's, it comes from like a Latin thing, sincera, it's like, it means without wax. The Greek word is judged by the, the light of the sun. Sincere. Now you can play with that all day long. A heart that's sincere is a heart that's judged by the light of the sun. That's cool. But what it's talking about, really, it's talking about um, back in the ancient times when a sculptor would sculpt something and say he's sculpting the bust of somebody's head. He's sculpting along, sculpting along, and he chops the ear off. Oops. Well, what he would do is he would get some wax. He would get some wax, he would warm it up, and he would take the wax, and he would uh, use it uh, as an amalgam, as some glue, and he would, he would take that ear and stick that ear back on with wax, and he would cover it over with dust and paint. The only way you could tell that that thing had imperfections and flaws is if you held it up to the light of the sun. So when a heart that is sincere is a heart that is without imperfections before God. It doesn't have a bunch of mixture and and unique foreign substances in there. It has a heart that's fully His, alive after God. A heart that's sincere, without wax, judged by the light of the sun. Cool, eh? So he says, I want you to be sincere and without offense. And that's where we're going to land. A heart alive in love without offense. That is what Paul is praying by the Holy Spirit. It's a prophetic, it, it ends up being this. If Paul is praying by the unction of the Holy Spirit and it ends up in Scripture, then it is a prayer, but it's also a prophetic promise because that which is authored by the Spirit of God in prayer is a guaranteed answered prayer. And so then you can take the prayer and it becomes a prophetic promise. Do you see that? And so the point is, Paul is prophesying that there will be a people that will be unoffended, with hearts abounding in love more and more. They will have good discernment. They'll be sincere without wax, judged by the light of the sun with hearts that are unoffended until the day of Christ and that's really what he's pointing to he says I want your heart to be without offense before Jesus when he appears unoffended the word uh, sincere can also be blameless unoffended can be uh, without stumbling or without sliding back without backsliding is the idea Offense is that which causes you to, to slide back. So, as I begin to consider the words of this uh, apostolic prayer, I think, it is, I think it is absolutely essential for us right now. I, I don't know what I feel, but I feel something. <laughs> and I think this is an important one for us right now. I think... Uh, to have a heart unoffended in love. Oh, goodness. As I, as I look at it, as I consider God's activity, I think, you know, God, you are a, you are a love, and therefore you are a lover of the, of the greatest dimension. The one who is love is the greatest lover that's ever been. Love must love. That's what makes him a lover. And I go, you love so in such a fiery, passionate manner, you will stop at nothing to embrace fully in love that which you desire. You will stop at nothing to remove everything that causes offense that's hindering love. You will stop at nothing. So God is a burning fire of love. The Bible says He is a jealous God. Jealous for everything that's in the way 
between him and you. Jealous. It's pretty, uh, that's kind of scary language when you think of the God who is the most powerful entity of all, like far more powerful than anything else that's been created, and he is jealous for anything that's in the way between you and him. Burning with it day in and day out. Whether you sense his jealousy or not, God is jealous for you, beloved. And not just you, but the six billion plus people all over the globe. He is jealous in love, fiery and burning, and he will stop at nothing to see abandoned worshipers, abandoned lovers giving themselves to him in, in, in complete voluntary love. His, he gave his son voluntarily to us as a people, and he is a burning in passion for there to be a, a, a global uh, Movement at the greatest number of voluntary lovers that will love his son. He will stop at nothing to see that come, into, come to pass. He, this, is, this is the activity of God. This is where he's at. He goes, I want love. I want to get rid of everything that hinders it. Passionate. He's never on a break. He's never distracted. His eye is always on the ball. His eye is always on the point. You know what the point is? You. You are the point. He's never uh, worried. He's never scandalized in heart. He's always peering at you, loving you, desiring you. Never taken off the issue. You are his issue. God is peering upon you with fiery eyes of passion and love. Jealous for everything that's in the way. Now, think about it. Just the way that God burns with desire for you, how much do you think he burns with uh, jealous wrath for everything that's in the way between him and you? He's intense. He will stop at nothing. So the principle is this, that God uses the least severe measures possible the least severe actions possible. God uses those to see the greatest number of people brought into voluntary love at the highest level. The least severe measures to see the greatest number of people brought into the highest level of voluntary love. That's how God operates. Matthew 13, it says it this way. Verse 41, I'll just read it to you. It says, The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and all those who practice lawlessness. So there's this thing that God's going to do. He's going to release a judgment upon everything that's offensive or that causes the bride to stumble and upon those who practice lawlessness. Those are two different things. All those things that offend are talking about, I think, Actions, uh, mentalities, strongholds, demon spirits, all those things that offend, and all those who practice lawlessness. Two categories. He goes, I'm going to get rid of the offenses before the day that I come. I will see them all taken and gathered out from my kingdom. I will get rid of all of that. He's got a reason. He loves you. He wants to get to your heart. He wants there to be intimacy without shame. Good. Just trying to catch myself up on my notes. So this is where it goes. If I know his love, then I know his emotions. If, I, if I'm abounding in love, and I'm abounding in discernment, we're still in Philippians 1, get your mind around that still. If I'm abounding in love and I'm abounding in discernment, approving those things which are excellent, then, then I know his emotions and I know his motives. And if I know the emotions that are burning in the heart of God and I know the motives that God is using that, to, to move, then my heart is equipped to withstand all accusations against him. 
I will not then bow to accusations from the enemy that God is evil or God doesn't like me or God is not out for my best interest because God, I understand the motives of his heart. And so when the activity of God upon the earth appears to be extremely severe, I will not listen to accusations against God because my heart is equipped with love. I'll know the motives and the emotions of God's heart and I'll understand that he is after this. He is after love at the highest level. No matter what the way the activity on the earth looks. Now, here's what I'm trying to get across. Things are going to get intense on the planet. They're going to get really intense. He's creating context for love to be revealed on the greatest, uh, greatest level. So I must know, what is it that's motivating you? Why would you do and allow things like this? What is burning in your heart? If I don't have the answer to that, then when the accusation against God comes, I will not discern properly, I will not approve the excellent ways of God, and I will be offended before Him. Hmm, okay. not trying to be mean, it's just how it is. (laughs) Giving us a framework. And so this is where this brought me. I'm in recognition, personally, that I have a threshold in my life. And I'll call it a pain threshold, but it's more like an offense threshold. I have a threshold that as long as things are going my way at a certain level and they don't touch the threshold, I am really unoffended in love. So long as things are pretty much okay in my life, I'm pretty happy. But once things start crossing the way that I think that they should go, I mean, I'm even okay for a little while when they're just a handful of things. But when the stuff starts piling up, then all of a sudden the offense button in my heart against God starts to get pushed. I had a little taste of that today. I got out of bed this morning, and I have got a, I have got a headache that is beating to the rhythm of my heart. Do you know what I'm talking about? You ever had... I mean, it is full-on, full-blown... I'm like, this can't, this can't be. Well, my wife, she woke up in the middle of the night, and so she is like really, really tired in the morning because last night she woke up in the middle of the night. So I'm thinking, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the boys, we're going to go, and da-da-da-da-da, and I'll, I'll let her get a nap, and then we'll go in the morning. We'll go run around a park or something, and just go in Jesus' name, hallelujah. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a good husband today. So I go out, and the, the uh, four-year-old and the two-year-old have dumped all the crayons all over the kitchen. We don't have five crayons. We've got about 500 in a bucket. So they're all dumped. So I, I said, who did this? And, uh, of course, I mean, they just, when it's who did this, they just, everybody else. And so it was a four-year-old and two-year-old. I knew it. Okay, so those guys are going to clean it up now. So me and the six-year-old, we, we go. I'm going to have a bowl of cereal. And we're going to go and just, you know, hang out for a moment. So I go in the den and come back in the kitchen. I look around. These guys are not cleaning up. No one's ever been here, but they're not cleaning up. Four-year-old and a two-year-old, amazingly, given to their own devices, weren't cleaning up the crayons. And uh, so I, after two or three requests to clean up, you know, then we come with this, if you don't clean up, somebody's going to get the rod, da-da-da-da-da. So I go back in there and I look around, and it's not that they just haven't cleaned up, but now I've got a little artist on my hands. They have drawn all over the tile on the kitchen floor, and someone was making a racetrack in the grout. <laughs> Drawing. I am anointed with the oil of madness at this moment. And trying, you know, I'm just trying to be a good dad and in kindness, but, you know, firmness, uh, you know, apply, you know, discipline, because I'm after love, I'm not after. Well, no, I just want to spank is what I want to do, really. I'm just trying to allow the Lord to work in me. So we go through, we get that thing handled. I, I've still got this ridiculous, I mean, just off the, off the rocker headache going. And uh, I'm going to get the boys, and we are going to go, and uh, we're going to go to the park. I'm going to let them run all that artistic ability they have out. We're just going to enjoy ourselves, and my wife will get a good nap. So I get up to the, um, the garage, and my little two-year-old, just he always says something sweet. And, and he did. He said something sweet. So I bend down to kiss him. And as soon as I bend down to kiss him, he jumps full power, smashes my lip. 
And I have a, I have a lip something happening right now. But so my lip goes fat and I go look in the mirror. I've got blood built up and I'm tasting blood. I'm spitting blood. My head is pounding. I'm artistic stuff happening in the kitchen. I'm like, ah! And in that moment, my offense threshold begun to get touched. Now, I know no one else's offense threshold ever gets touched, but mine was in that moment. And, I, and this is just kind of how it is in life. Things, doesn't it always seem like when it rains, it pours, things kind of just pile up, and the next thing you know, every, you, were a, you were just appraising away the day before, but now four or five things have happened. You don't even know if God knows your address, and he sure doesn't love you today. And uh, what I begin to realize is while this is our common sort of state, there really is, beloved, a time coming when things are going to mount in a real way that will touch all of us in a, in a depth that are not going to be the way that we planned it. And I begin to see that my, my threshold, it, when it gets crossed, I, I can easily begin to move into that place where I begin to doubt God's motives and then I can begin to mistrust why He's doing what He's doing or allowing what He's allowing. From that place of mistrust, I can easily move into offense and bitterness in my heart toward God. Toward God. It usually begins when hope is not uh, fulfilled. When hope or an expectation is not met, distrust begins to bubble. And in that place of distrust bubbling, I can easily move over into being mad with the one who is always working for my benefit. It is the definition of biting the hand that feeds you. Offended with God. God is always for our best, yet he's the one we tend to point at the most. When stuff doesn't go our way. So I was looking at these verses, looking at these words. This, this Greek word for offense is, is a, it's easy, scandalizo. It's where we get the word scandalized. And, and it just basically means to scandalize, to entrap, to trip up, to stumble, or to entice, to sin, to offend. And often we've heard a lot of teaching about uh, being encouraged not to be scandalized or offended with one another. And I think that is absolutely right. We need not to be offended with one another. We need to walk in love. and We need to apply uh, 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not take uh, account of wrongs suffered. And we need to love and, and not allow offenses to take root toward one another. But I think that um, that when we, when we have this opportunity to, to overcome offenses, we we, we misunderstand it. Certainly, we've lost a lot in the body of Christ when people have gotten offended between one another. Certainly, we, that's not what we want, is to be offended with one another. We need to apply our hearts to not be offended with each other. But I think this, I think the opportunity to overcome offense points to this. God training our heart with natural relationships so our heart will be equipped with our supernatural relationship. He's allowing us to to get in a, uh, situations where offense would be easy to choose between one another so that we will grow in love and not choose offense. Why? Unto preparing us to be unoffended with Him. I want you to see this. Turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Just a little point, if, if we are easily offended with one another, if we're easily offended with individuals in our lives, it probably points to a little deeper reality that we are in danger of being offended with God in a great measure. Because I think working through offenses between us is the, is the training ground that God uses so our hearts would be equipped to be able to say, I'm not offended with you in a, in a, in a, in a uh, day that's ahead. Matthew 11, verse 2, let's look at that. It says, When John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of the disciples, and he said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? And Jesus answered and said, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to him. 
quoting the Messianic prophecy from Isaiah. Verse 6 says, And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Because of me. It's interesting. There's many things in the world that you think of Jesus saying, you know, you'll be blessed if you're not offended with somebody who steals your stuff. There's all sorts, you know, you'll be blessed if you're not offended when your husband uh, and you get in an argument. There's all sorts of things you can imagine that Jesus could say about blessed is he who is not offended and with and then dot, 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 fill in the blank. There's all sorts of things that you would imagine in this world that we would come in contact with that he might say. Yet he doesn't make, he doesn't make a point out of any of those. He doesn't make a point out of any of those. He doesn't say, blessed are you who are not offended by backsliding into sin. He doesn't say anything like that. He goes, people are blessed, and specifically, John, you're going to be blessed if you're not offended with me. Now, that's pretty amazing. Jesus himself points to, I think, the greatest cause of offense to the human heart, himself himself and i'm thinking about john in this moment i'm thinking you know john's the forerunner john is the voice of one crying john knows he's isaiah 40's fulfillment john knows that he's preparing the way for the lord john has lived a life think about it full of joy he says my joy is made full because i hear the bridegroom's voice he he lives a life full of love he's he's uh doing everything that god's asking him to do he's out there eating locusts and honey you know he's he's got a, a, a animal hair on his back john is giving it up for god at the highest level he's in love with jesus he's obedient jesus even said uh there's never been one born among women greater than john you know prior to those in the kingdom of god because John is phenomenal. John lives basically, you know, with, without wax. He lives sincere and blameless his whole life, and it lands him in prison. And there's no record of Jesus coming and visiting. This is the guy that set it up for Jesus. He set up the way. He prepared it. I mean, what could be going on in John's mind? Hey, bud, without you, without me, you've got no ministry. I prepared the way. Isaiah 40, have you read it lately, Jesus? I'm the voice. little help over here. There's no telling what's going on in John's mind. And, and some, some would say, well, John has gone into doubt here because he's in prison. And so he's trying to get a real confirmation from the heart of, of uh, Jesus as to whether Jesus really is Messiah or not. Look, John knew he was a voice. So that means that John knew Jesus was the one to come. And and I think John's just touching his humanity. Have you ever had a word from the Lord on the mountain that once you got in the valley, you went, now what was that word again, Lord? Would you just sort of love me and say it again? Isn't it in those moments where he's usually the most quiet? That's what John's touching, beloved. He's touching the prison cell. John's prison cell and Jesus' garden experience are equal. Jesus in the garden, if this cup can pass from me, please, let's do this another way. But if not, I'll do your will. That's Jesus in the garden. Touching the humanity of being all God and all man. Jesus says if there's another way. There's John, a human forerunner for Jesus Christ, a man alive in love and joy in the prison cell. I guarantee he's feeling like he's going to get martyred any day. He's sensing death. And here's what he's touching this humanity. Please let me know just one more time that you really are the guy and I didn't do some dumb thing by going and joining IHOP. I mean, that's where he's at, man. He quotes him Isaiah and then he goes, oh, by the way, John, trust what you hear. Trust what you see. The lame are walking. The deaf are hearing. He goes, trust what you already know, John. Isn't that usually what the Lord says in the valley? Trust what you know. You're going, I'm in the valley. I need an angel. He goes, no. Believe. And he goes, and you'll be blessed if you're not mad that I don't visit you in jail. That's Jesus. 
goes, this is going to be the best thing for your heart, John. He goes, you don't know what this is buying for you on the other side. In a day or two, John's going to have his head on a platter. Jesus doesn't even come visit him. Why? We don't know what's working in the heart of God. We don't know what it's producing in John. We don't know the everlasting reward that's going on, that God is concocting and mixing together. We don't know the root that God is developing in John through Jesus' actions there. It sounds like Jesus is being kind of harsh. I don't think so. He goes, look, just believe what I've already told you, John, and don't be offended that you're about to get martyred. That's... (laughs) I mean, I know that sounds crazy. That's, that's what he said. But I, didn't I do everything right? Didn't I? I'm a voice proclaimer. I mean, what, how many thousand questions do you think John had in the prison cell? I, I, I mean, I, maybe I shouldn't have gone over there. Maybe I should have zigged when I, when I thought you said zag. I don't know. I mean, how many times do we touch those things in our humanity? He goes, just believe. Don't be offended in my workings. It really is the biggest temptation. I started thinking about Jesus' name. Jesus is called the stumbling stone. The stumbling stone. The rock of offense. Jesus. Romans 9.33 says it this way. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. Whoever believes on him, though, will not be put to shame. Huh. I'm sort of just dealing with myself while I'm talking to you guys because this is where I'm living right now. I want to know him intimately. I want to be abounding in love with a heart unlocked, soaring in intimacy. And even when it doesn't quote-unquote feel good or seem good for me, I want that same sense of flowing alive love, discerning properly the excellencies of God in my life. I realize that many times while I'm crying for him to remove the pain of challenges in my life and wondering if he's, uh, why he's not answering, that when I quiet my soul, I hear him wooing me. I'm going, God, get rid of this. This hurts. This is painful. God, why are you not answering? God, where are you? And I'll generally, my little thing is I go, to be honest, I lay down in a fetal position. <laughs> Help Jesus. <laughs> I get there and curl up and I go, where are you? Why are you not answering? When I quiet, he usually is wooing my heart again. He goes, hey, 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 listen, listen. This experience of pain, he goes, I am answering the greatest prayer you've ever prayed with the pain. I go, what are you talking about? This pain is killing me. He goes, no, I'm answering the cry of your heart to know me. I go, how could that be? He goes, if you and I are going to fellowship, it's not only going to be in the power of my resurrection, it's going to be in the place of my sufferings. I'll spend energy upon energy crying to God in intercession to get him to remove the turmoil and remove the pain of my heart, going, please deliver me. He goes, I am trying to love you. I want you to know me just like you say you want to know me. You cry for the knowledge of God, He will take you into the place of suffering, the place of fellowshipping with Him. He allows you to feel what He feels. That's called intimacy. Experientially know what He's known. I wrote this, and intimacy with the King is costly. I've heard this one. The conditions of companionship are severe. (laughs) Just let that one roll over you a minute. The conditions of companionship are severe. See, what happens is we get saved. Everything's hunky-dory. It's all wonderful. Things are good. And then all of a sudden, we begin to realize it's not that God changes things on us. All of a sudden, after, after a little while, and, and the buzz a little bit wears off, all of a sudden, we begin to realize that all that, those things that we used to run into, that we used to desire, all the pleasures of this life, all of a sudden, they're not pleasing anymore. Well, did he change it on us, or, or how did that go? Like, one moment, everything was cool, but the, other, the next moment, things don't work. And, and all of a sudden, we realize that we cannot keep step with the world and with God at the same time. We can't have popular opinion in Jesus. 
And all of a sudden, we're not in step with maybe even our family. And maybe sometimes it's even those who profess Christ. And how did that go? Because a minute ago, everything was happy and there was a buzz and, and you loved me and everything was good. Now, what have you done? You've changed the rules. He goes, no, I didn't change the rules on you. I allured your heart. I caused your heart to become alive. When your heart unlocked and you became alive, you realized that I am the only thing that touches you and brings blessing to you. That these other lesser lovers are counterfeits at best. And all of a sudden you realize that your embrace of these carnal desires and stuff is now causing your heart to ache because there's a gulf. When you go after the carnal thing, after you've tasted him, there's a gulf that's created. I can't go back. We call that being wounded with love. You let me taste how much you love me. You let me experience that love. And now if I try to fill this ache with anything but you, it doesn't work. And it's in that place where God is trying to formulate the character of Christ and he's trying to formulate a depth of intimacy many times we will get offended with the reality of that. I started thinking, what are the things that cause my heart to get offended? Of course, anything that touches my finances or my comfort. There's a clear setup for us in the West. When, we, when what we've done is we've built devotion upon blessing and we've defined blessing by that which increases our finances and our comfort that when those quote-unquote blessings are taken away or when God blesses us in another way, all of a sudden devotion begins to tremble. Because devotion based on blessing, when blessing is based only on that which in- increases my comfort, when God blesses me with fellowshipping in him, with him in his suffering, I can't properly identify, I, I can't conceive of what God's doing in me. And all of a sudden I'm offended with him because he didn't bless me. Yet the whole time he said, I've been blessing you all along in this trial. I'm bringing you to the knowledge of my son. And it brings us to this truth that God's highest priority in this age is not our temporal pleasure. That one right there is the wrong. <laughs> like, ow, that hurts. Your highest priority is not my temporal pl- pleasure. How could that be? Because I've got a whole ocean of things that you and I are going to experience together in the age to come. This age is simply the, the testing ground for you. This is your internship. In a minute, you'll be married. He goes, it's in that age, it's what Ephesians 2 says, in the ages to come that I could show you all the grace and all the goodness. I could lavish upon you all that's good within me. Amazing. I'm offended with God when I come face to face with my weakness. How could you create me and I can't do anything? I got nothing. I got nothing and I can do nothing. He goes, in John 15, he goes, listen, listen, without me, you can do nothing. You gotta wonder if they whispered around the table at that moment. Huh? We were fishing before he ever showed up. The fact that we are conceived in sin, desperately in need of God's intervention in our life or we come to destruction. That's the reality of our life. Face to face with that, man, that, will, that can bring you to a place of offense. The raw truth, we are desperately needy people. Continually, desperately needy people. The quicker that we come to grips with that, the better life will be. Truth be told, I need God. I'm weak and I need God. Did I mess up? I probably did. I used to, whenever people say, hey, bro, listen, I just, when you did that, I used to try to figure out the five reasons how to, to um, you know, to like explain that I probably didn't do wrong. 
Listen, when you said that, I'm telling you, no, I didn't mean that. You heard me wrong. Uh, there was three things going on. Why? And this other. Now I'm like, you know what? I probably did that wrong and two other things that you didn't notice. So sorry. <laughs> this is who I am. I'm pretty weak at the end of the day. If you hear me say something that was good, it's because God helped it. Everything else is me, and me is weak in need of God. Do you know how offensive that is? This is just therapy. I'm just sharing with you my problems. You're listening. This is therapy. And I don't have to pay for you to do it. This is good. Weakness, being misunderstood. Let me just read this to you. Saying yes to Jesus and then realizing how silly and foolish you look to the world, associates, family members, friends, and even believers. You embrace Jesus and step into the place of fellowshipping with him. And not even the disciples understood what was happening to Jesus at his arrest and crucifixion. You fellowship with him. He takes you into fellowshipping in his sufferings. And even Jesus, uh, the night he's getting betrayed, the disciples didn't get it. How are the people in your life going to get it? They're not. (laughs) Because that's the point. That's the point. You're going to touch loneliness in this age. He goes, because I did. A.W. Tozer says, a man with a cross is always a man walking alone. What do you think Jesus was saying when he said, take up your cross and follow me? Because you're going to be misunderstood. You're going to touch loneliness. It's not that you buck up and bum go, no one will understand me, therefore I will be a rebel. It's not, that's not the point. The point is, in weakness, you go, God, I just want you and I need you and just help. With brokenness and contrition in your heart. Just do one more. You know what else I get offended about? Injustice. But it's not really God's sense of injustice, it's my sense of injustice. Because my sense of injustice and God's sense of injustice are completely different. See, God has something called equity that he bases justice and injustice upon. It's called fairness. And his sense of fairness is always perfect. But my sense of fairness is really better for me than anyone else. And so when what God is doing or allowing does not match my personal sense of fairness... I generally get in danger of offense. His ways are not my ways. And I must continually adjust to his ways in order to understand and agree with his sense of justice. The fact is, in this age, there are many things I will never, never understand, yet I must understand this if I don't want to be offended. Revelation 15.3, which says, all your ways are just and true. Just and true are all your ways. So when my heart screams, it's not fair, it's injustice, he goes, only if you knew what I was producing in you in this moment, you wouldn't make that step into unbelief and distrust and offense. You would stay the course in it knowing that my ways are just and true and all my thoughts of you are good and my greatest desire is to see goodness brought to you. You would stay in and stay the course when you're crying injustice. You would understand I am working on your behalf. Read this quote. It says, he not only masters men, but he mystifies them. While he blesses them, he bewilders them. So incomparably higher are his ways and thoughts than ours. He certainly answers the question of our hearts. But at the same time, he arouses even more, more answers. <laughs> he answers the question of our heart, and then he, in that answer, he arouses more questions. He arouses more than he answers. And in the life of every true follower of him, there will always be, as there was in his own, some great unanswered why. He bewilders you while he blesses you. That's where he's at. Why? Because he's God. And he's right. And he loves you. So passionately. 
Just stand. I pray that we would become a people who would be unoffended in love. That even in the place of great turmoil, great challenge, great trial, things that don't add up in this age for our own blessing, we would still stay alive and unlocked in heart. Alive in love, flowing in intimacy with Him. Even when the money goes away. Even when the comfort is touched. Even when the challenges seem more than the good things. Would you agree that we are in great need of this? To be unoffended in love? My heart aches for this because I believe our brethren, us as a people, I believe that we are set up for offense. There's much doctrine right now that says that God would never allow his people to go through a trial or a tribulation at any level. And I believe it is setting us up for a great fall in the West. We must have hearts alive, soaring in love, yet believing at all points that his ways are just and true. Even when my emotions don't like it, what he's doing in me is right. Jesus. Lord, let us be a people unoffended in love. Let us be a people unoffended in love. Lord, I pray tonight for us in this house that you would drain out the poison of offense, the poison of hope and expectations not met. You drain those things out within us tonight. Drain it out, God. We would embrace you in your ways and say, Yes, all your ways. All your ways are just and true. When my family doesn't understand me, my friends don't understand me. When even those who profess your name don't understand, Jesus, that you never leave me nor forsake me. And I get to fellowship with you even in the place of your loneliness. I pray you'd bring us to the understanding that when we're dealing with offensive situations and offensive people, you're training us, training our hearts. To not be scandalized when stuff doesn't go our own way. Preparing us to be unoffended before you in love. Lord, that we would be able to say like Jesus in the garden. God, this isn't what I thought or the way I thought it should go. But nevertheless, not my will. Not my will. Several of you are in the place right now of pain because you're trying to get your will done and your way accomplished. And God is trying to bring you to the place of not my will, but your will be done. Several of us, were just dealing with offense in the heart toward God. When things haven't gone our way, we begin to po- point a finger and blame He's wanting to peel that back tonight. He's wanting to peel back the veils of offense. That you could experience love at the highest measure. Intimacy without shame. Blameless and sincere in His sight. Without mixture.